This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus. Hope Lives Friday side notes. Uh, On Fridays, we're going to uh, delve into some side notes. And what are side notes? They may be historical issues that I want to deal with that give you a biblical perspective. It might be something economic, might be something from the Bible, might be some symbolism from the Bible, or it might even just be some ideas, philosophical, maybe even scientific that interest me and that I think the Bible either speaks to, or they shed light on scripture and allow you to understand and see scripture in uh, maybe a new, a different, a more in-depth way than you saw it before. So uh, Friday Side Notes is a dealer's choice type situation for me in in that I am going to just give you information that is important. Welcome to Friday Side Notes. This Friday we are dealing with symbolism and the symbolism of bodies of water and land. And uh, in scripture, I think it's very interesting that in Genesis 1.10, it says, and God called the dry land earth, And he gathered together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Notice that God created the land and the sea in the same in the same act in his creation of the universe and his in his reforming of the world. We see in Genesis chapter one that God created the land and the sea. Now, those are the two major symbols in scripture as far as when we're searching for what they represent. And as far as scripture is, when you're searching and when you're thinking about these words and you pass them by, sea and land represent really the two uh, distinct people groups of the Old Testament and the two groups of people from which God draws his church in the New Testament. And those are the sea and the land. And even in the book of the Revelation, the two antichrists or the two beasts One of them comes out of the sea and the other comes out of land. I think it's obvious when you're studying it that if you're going to say the word land in relation to scripture, there's always a word that always seems to come up in front of that, and that is called the promised land. And we understand that whenever you see the word land in uh, scripture, a lot of times it's talking about God's promises to his people. It's talking about the Jews, the beast out of the land that we see in the book of the Revelation would have been, would, would obviously, if you're working through symbolism, and obviously the book of the Revelation is very symbolic, the beast out of the land would be a Jewish beast. And then the beast out of the sea would be the opposite of that, or the group that's not Jews, and we under, we understand that to be Gentiles. And so throughout the Old Testament, and throughout even the New Testament, you're going to see mentioned, in fact, the word sea is mentioned over 600 times in the Old and New Testament, and the word land is mentioned over 200 times in the Old and New Testament. And uh, every time you see it, and I'm not saying every time that you see it, it's a direct correlation and you can tie it off. It's not, these road signs are not as distinct as some of the others that we have, we've studied in the past, but these two road signs can be very important 
And whenever I see the word see, I always think, okay, is he talking about the Gentiles here? Is he talking about those who are not a part of the Abrahamic promise of the Old Testament, who are uh, not a part of God's plan uh, as far as it's record, as far as regard to the Israelites and their and their going to the promised land. And so if I look and I see, I might recognize that God's talking about his work with the Gentiles. And we know that in the New Testament, we're engrafted in the Gentiles are engrafted in God's plan of grace and mercy for his people. And in the New Testament, it is even more distinct. Whenever I see the word sea or the word land, oftentimes it is very distinctly tied to either the Gentiles or the Jews, and especially in relation to land the promises of God that are given to the Jews and those promises ultimately are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so that covenant uh, relationship that exists in the Old Testament and then Jesus's fulfillment of the Old Testament law. Remember, he said, I came to fulfill the law. He did not come to destroy it. And he is the fulfillment of those promises that were made to the Jews and uh, to, to Israel in the Old Testament. And so those promises are carried over to the church. And so water and bodies of water, especially the sea, is a representation of the Gentiles. And they are mentioned a whole lot in scripture. And uh, sea is an important feature, land feature in scripture. Although in the places in, in the New Testament and the Old Testament where most of the actions taking place, it's not near the sea. In fact, the only sea that's really uh, close by would have been the Mediterranean Sea, and then to the south uh, on the Arabian Peninsula would be what we call the Red Sea now. Those seas are not actually regularly a part of the stories of the Old and New Testament, and yet the word sea is mentioned, like I said, over 600 times, which would indicate that Scripture is telling us something. It's telling us, look, listen, when I'm using the word sea, I'm telling you that I'm likely to be talking about those who are not a part of the Old Testament covenant, that are not Jews, the Gentiles, and my my activity, my desires, and my foreplanning for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. Now, the other two features that we want to deal with, water bodies of water, are first of all rivers. And by the way, the idea of the word river is very important in scripture. I love to read Ezekiel 47. It says, then he brought me back to the door of the temple and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east for the front of the temple was faced east and the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces east. And there was water running out the right side. And when the men went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1000 cubits and he brought me through the waters that came up to my ankles. What he's talking about is the river of God, symbolically the healing waters that flows from the temple. We see that carried out in the book of the Revelation. We see that in, in the last chapters of the book of the Revelation. There is a river that flows from the throne of God in, in the millennial city in Jerusalem during the millennial reign of Christ. So the idea of the river is God's plans, God's work, God's power flowing through not only the people that live in the land, but also through the ages and the times and the seasons of life. The symbolism of a river, we see that first mentioned in the very first part of the book of Genesis, 
that the Garden of Eden is placed at the headwaters of four rivers. Notice there's a flowing of God's plans, God's purposes, his grace, his mercy, and even his judgment is flowing from his work in the Garden of Eden, is flowing from his temple. And so whenever you see the word river used in scripture, I always think of God's work and God's plan, not just in the moment that we might be reading about, not just in the events that are taking place in that moment, but God's design, his eternal purposes, his eternal work that's going on a regular basis throughout uh, history and throughout the uh, stories and the seasons that we see in scripture. And so river is an important symbol in the Bible of the work and the hand of God at work in the world. Now, when we get to the last uh, body of water or land that's mentioned in scripture, it is the idea of a lake. And it is very interesting that lakes, even though lakes were a, a part of the Jewish culture, in fact, the Lake of Gennesaret is uh, right there on the uh, eastern side of Israel. It's, it's one of the boundaries of Israel. That lake is where Jesus did most of his ministry. That is a place where, where God proved who Jesus was and showed him to his disciples. We see him preaching on the lake. We see a fisherman fishing on the lake and Jesus bringing in a great catch of fish for them. We see us, we see Jesus walking on the water. When he walks on the water, that is the lake of Gennesaret. We see a windstorm or the movement of the Holy Spirit changing everything. We see that taking place on the lake. We see him sleeping and then calming the wind on the lake. And then uh, we also see when Jesus drove out the, he drove out the demons in, in the man who was possessed by the legion of demons. And he places those demons in the herd of uh, swine and they run into the lake and God uh, at work on that body of water. And I tend to think that the lakes represent a reservoir of either God's grace and mercy or his wrath and ju judgment. It is a place where that is held and it's a place where uh, God's at work doing either grace and mercy or wrath and judgment. Why wrath and judgment? Wrath and judgment because the book of the Revelation has a lake that's mentioned five times also. Notice uh, lake is mentioned in the book of Luke five times. It's also mentioned in the book of the Revelation five times, except that lake is not a lake where God's grace and mercy is being revealed. God's plan for humanity is being revealed in Jesus Christ. That lake is the lake of fire. It's the lake of uh, fire that we see mentioned five times in Revelation 19 through 21, three of those times in, in chapter 20 itself. And that is the place where God's ultimate and final judgment takes place. In fact, hell and, and the bottomless pit are thrown into that lake. That is the place ultimately where God's judgment of, get, of sin takes place. And so naturally, if you think about a lake, it's usually a place where it has a source of water coming in, usually has a source of water going out, but much like a bowl, it sits there and it holds that water in a larger setting than a stream or a river would be. It holds that water and that water is doing the work of God. And we've already talked about that being symbolic of the Holy Spirit and hence cleansing power. A lake is a picture of God's reservoir of, the, of either grace and mercy or ultimately his judgment of sin. And in Revelation chapter 19, 20, and 21, that is what he's doing. He is judging sin and he's judging that which is chosen to reject his will 
in his ways. That's where the false prophets are. That's where um, death and Hades are cast into it. That's where um, those not found in the book of life are cast into it. And then Re Revelation 20, 21 goes through a whole litany of those who have rejected God's will and they have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And that's Revelation 21, 8. Uh, God uh, uses lakes as symbolic of either the holding of his grace and mercy and his work and activity in the world, or it's a picture, like I said, of God's uh, wrath and judgment and that bowl of wrath and judgment being held against that which has rejected him. And so as you can see, uh, bodies of water and land tend to be uh, a somewhat important uh, roadmap as we read and study through scripture that can point us in a direction so that we'll understand uh, what maybe stories in the Old Testament are talking about or where lakes are concerned in the New Testament, what that's talking about. It can give us an idea of God, God's desires and his work and his will so that when we study God's word, we have those tools that make us uh, more knowledgeable, more understanding, and uh, open our eyes to what God's doing. I hope as you study God's word that uh, you'll allow the Holy Spirit to reveal these things to you. I'm just trying to provide you a little, a few keys and tools that will help you see things and allow the Holy Spirit to open your mind and for you to not only see God's work in the New Testament and Old Testament, but you realize that God is at work in the life that you're living today. And that the only reason that you'd even recognize that is because he wanted to know you to know that he was at that work and that he wants you to join him and uh, be able to experience him at work, not only in the world that you live in, but in your life also. And so I pray that you will search him out and you'll seek him and you'll find him at work in your life and that you'll know him completely because he loves you and he does want you to understand him. He wants you to know him and he wants you to see his will for you. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.